Jews are the worst at evangelizing. Like, if there's any religion that could use a little support here, I mean, for God's sakes, Kyrie and Kanye, you want to be on the team? Fucking A with Kyrie's handles? We're happy to have you. Listen, I know he says a lot of fucked up things, but if he did go to the Knicks, I, you know, I'd be okay. What he brings in terms of court vision, I'm just saying. The message. Spotlighting the most important voices of today with Ebro. An open dialogue about their experiences in these times and the music that inspires them. Welcome back to The Message, the podcast where we talk to important cultural voices about the issues of today and what their message is to you. I'm your host, Ebro Darden, and today I'm sitting down with John Stewart, who you know from his 16-year run as host of The Daily Show on Comedy Central, as well as his current role as the host of The Problem with Jon Stewart on Apple TV+. Plus, We're going to talk about what brought him back to TV, his activism, social media, and the recent wave of anti-Semitism from people like Kanye West and Kyrie Irving. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, on an episode of The Message, where we get together, we have conversations, I mean, with people in music, people outside of music, all types yeah. of people, but their message to the people. And uh, who those people are, it depends. Uh, you know, they could be black people, white people, Jewish people, Muslim people, Buddhist people. We don't know. It's just the message. Everybody's got a different one. And today we have John Stewart joining Hello. the program. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on the program. Um, I'm honored to have you, one, because I've been a fan for a long time. Two, well, thank you. you're actually a, in the same room that you do your program, The Problem with Jon Stewart from, often on your Instagram page. <laughs> yes, I'm in the same program. Well, it's it's my house. This is why I love, you know, Ebro, and I, and I got to tell you this, like the whole point of the podcast, the whole point of all this stuff is that you can just, you can wake up and go, oh, look, I'm at work. Like that's basically the commute is maybe eight seconds. I love it. It's 20 yeah. steps. 20 steps. 20 maybe. steps. I love it. And you don't have to actually show up to that studio on 11th Avenue anymore uh, in mm -hmm. Manhattan. You don't actually have to go to work anymore. You just walk into That's your right. room. That's right. No, this is this is built for a man who is no longer as ambulatory as he used to be. So, so John, I ask you, um, with everything, all the groundbreaking things you did on Comedy Central uh, with the program that you started there, the handing off to Trevor and he did a phenomenal job and he's decided to wrap things up. Mm -hmm. All of the people that have come out of the program, mm -hmm. why did Jon Stewart come back to dealing with these problems? Why are you here again? Ebro, it's, it's a great question. Um, and I guess, you know, I can sum up my answer in two words and that would be money grab. <laughs> I like it. Just a way to gild... <laughs> the cage so that I could, you know, uh, I was toast right. after 17 years of doing what I was doing. I was doing it every day. And I think in any creative endeavor, you get to a certain point where you believe you're just maintaining it. You're no right. longer evolving it in a meaningful way, in a creative way that, that kind of feeds you. And so at that point, I didn't want to stay somewhere just because I could. And also you have this incredible staff that relies on you leading them, giving right. them, giving them the best effort that you, that you can give. And if you can no longer give that best effort, it is time for you to go. Right. And, uh, and I also had kids that were getting to the point where 
things were becoming more meaningful for them. They were eight years old, nine years old. You know, life was about to get yeah. the decisions that they make were going to have a slightly <laughs> higher consequence value than than the decisions they made earlier. And I wanted to put some some time and effort into that so that when I said to them, you know, they're lacing cocaine with fentanyl, uh, <laughs> they they wouldn't just go, who the fuck are you? Right. Uh, you know, all those things came together at just the right time for me to make that decision. But I didn't stop working. I, I just, it was, The Daily Show is a really, boy, you have to be myopic. And people say, well, what was that like to, to leave? And I was like, it was like, if you viewed the world through a toilet roll and, right. and when you left, you went, oh shit, peripheral vision. Like everything just came more alive. And, and, and I think in, in a lot of ways stimulated me creatively as well. And so this was, this was an idea that I'd been percolating with for a while and wanted to get back to try. I love it. I love that for you. Now, has it been what you hoped it would be? Oh, it's been, I have to say. So the best part of it is collaboration. It's the best part of any art for me. And, you know, there was a certain feeling I might have had where I felt like I, I didn't want to be the guy who graduated college, but like still lived in the college town. Mm. And now he's like five years on, but still walking <laughs> into the college bar. Like, what's up? Who wants to play quarters? Let's do this. A beer pong, anyone? That's right. You don't want to be uh, antiquated and, and out of step. And, and someone asked me once, they said, has time passed you by? And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's, that's time's whole gig. But, um, but I have found a staff that is so uh, intellectually gifted, but also creative and collaborative and enthusiastic. And, you know, I find it, you know, invigorating in, in that sense, because really all you can do is when, when people say like, are you happy with it? Well, it's really, are you happy with the process of making it? You're hoping, you know, th that's the only thing you can control. And, uh, and I've been very pleased with that. I've just got w w just an impressive group of people that, that I get to go in and shoot the shit with every day. So. So if you if you had to narrow kind of everything that you've done mm -hmm. um, recently with the problem, this this podcast and this show, the problem with John Stewart, um, what would you say your message is to people? Because watching you uh, hold court on uh, the Senate floor uh, on behalf of veterans, um, watching you now with the program have conversations like you had with the uh, attorney general down in Arizona and challenge, you know, kind of, you know, he's a Republican attorney general or um, even the conversation you were just having, I think it was the other day with uh, some some people on your team about Elon Musk buying Twitter. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I've always I've always seen you as the person to call bullshit. Not in a, in a in a patriotic way, right? Because everybody likes to flip patriotism into this thing where you just have to agree with any and everything that America markets and stand for. And you've always been the person to be like, listen, I'm American to the bone. Uh, but we got some shit we got to deal with. We got some problems and I'm calling bullshit no matter who it is or what it is. Um, how would you frame your message to people who listen to you and have been fans of you for a long time. I, I liked how you did it. Oh, I, you like mine? Yeah, if I could live up to that, I would. Fuck that shit, it's bullshit. I'm Jon Stewart. Why didn't I call the show that? <laughs> Fuck that shit, this is bullshit. I'm Jon Stewart. Uh, I, I think in general, it's more a question of, and this is a combination of kind of the years of experience of just making content, 
versus the years of experience of trying to be a part of tangible change on certain issues down in Washington and the confluence of those things and seeing where my voice could add value to legitimate legislative fights and where my voice could maybe add value to legitimate cultural fights, right? But there always got to be a point where, and I think we've done this a lot, we confuse cultural power with power. Mm. And man, there ain't nothing like actual power. Mm. And, and cultural power is, holy shit, man, you eviscerated that guy and we're going to pass that around on the internet and it's going to get 12 million views and so we win. But that's not a win. It's not really anything other than the self-satisfaction of people kind of high-fiving over something that they truly agree with or wanted to see. They, you know, it's a you little own, bit you of- You own the libs. Oh, I really burned that guy. High five. Right. You know, it's all symbolic all bullshit. Yeah. Symbolic bullshit. But what I learned down in D.C. is it is about the people in the trenches working their asses off day in and day out to get incremental changes. And if I can provide them a modicum of air support a small measure of attention, a small measure of stamina to help support them on their years-long drive, boy, that's that's doing something real. Right. And there's no satisfaction like that. There's no satisfaction like, like thinking you had a small part in the positive growth of somebody's life experience that you've helped lighten in a tiny way the burden that someone else is carrying unjustly. It's, it's, it's like nothing you can ever imagine. And, you know, working every day on The Daily Show probably didn't give you the, I guess, free time to really get into the weeds like you can now, right? Now you're doing The That's Problem right. with Jon Stewart. You got season two, it's up right now on Apple Podcasts and Aaron on Apple TV+. And now between seasons, between shows, you can get a little bit more in the trenches with people and use That's your right. celebrity, use your impact to bring attention to, to the real work. And not just there, you know, in, in other avenues as well. But what happens is what you notice in Washington is they're isolated. And so that they become very removed from the real day-to-day -day problems that they are legislating. And, and so their world, the currency of their world is their relationship to donors, to lobbyists, to other lawmakers, but not really to constituents. Well, television is in some ways equally myopic. Right. My relationship to the world was really just inside the confines of my studio mm. and the confines of my staff. And it can't help but skew how you view things. And you're really, uh, in a lot of ways, as, as isolated and insulated as the people you're criticizing. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to get out and feel the, the, the world again, feel the dirt a little bit in the hands and feet, made a, an enormous difference, uh, I think, in my understanding of things. Oh, uh, we have a playlist from John Stewart too, because yes, everybody that comes sir. on the message creates yes. a playlist chocked mm. full of some hammers. Uh, I mean, uh, Elvis Costello and the attractions. You got bangers. James Brown, Johnny Cash, Old Dirty uh, Bastard, even Public uh, Enemy, uh, the Beastie uh, Boys, uh, Nirvana, Bad Brains, the yes, Butthole sir. Surfers. Mm, they, I was working at a bar. They almost burned the place down. Yo, that's Very. punk. That's punk. How people really like their punk right there. Well, that's why I, so I bartended in 
a legendary, the, the list I gave you is basically just chronological, but in the 80s, I bartended at a club called City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey, mm. which was a, a legendary punk club and Bad Brains with HR wow. and uh, Black Flag and Butthole <laughs> Surfers and X and uh, Suicidal Tendencies, Jeez, Agnostic yeah. Front, GBA, like Guar used to play there all the time. Like it, it was my introduction to creative people not giving a fuck. Right. And coming from that area, if you'd ever been to City Gardens, you know, like it's a shithole's shithole. It, it exists to make Camden feel better about itself. <laughs> like it's a shithole. Right. But these, we got lucky in that all those bands that were traveling from New York to Philly would stop in Trenton and play this shithole warehouse in, in, on Calhoun Street. And I got to see the greatest show on earth and feel that inspiration, man. That, that's, that's really what it was about is you really, you saw people just saying, Hey, fuck it. You know what? You got something to say, go say it. And, and that, I think that really helped push me, inspire me to just decide one day, you know what? I'm going to move to New York and just fucking say it. And let's see what happens. Well, let's get into, uh, the revenge of anus Presley. <laughs> and we're going to talk about people because we live in a time right now, John, where what <clears throat> you just said, creative people not giving a fuck, <clears throat> fuck it, just say it. Mm-hmm. We're living in a time where people think that doesn't come with <laughs> uh, repercussions, right? Oh, oh, always has, by the way. It, it always has, but I want to delve. Yeah. I want to delve into that a little bit. I got to play the mash theme. I don't know why my friends. I'm 47, mm-hmm. so yeah. are uh, you really? I'm 47 years old. All right, what happened to me? I, I, I got to. <laughs> what are you juicing? I got to start juicing. <laughs> the fuck. So, but. I, well, I, I haven't worked as hard as you either. I just kind of, you mm, know, that, that TV right. thing will wear you out. That's a lot of work. All right. But all right. I, but I do want to say that uh big fan of MASH, man. Hawkeye, you know, uh, I watched it every day, me and my brother. Learned how to play it on the saxophone. Big, there you go. Big fan. But why do people not like MASH, man? What is the problem? Is, is that really true? That's that a real like thing. It? Because I think for people younger than you and I, it yes. represents the time to go to bed. Because when that when that theme song comes oh, on syndication, I get what you're saying. And when that theme song came on, right. I mean the kids, it's nine o'clock. Kids gotta go to bed. Yeah, you gotta here. go. So they yeah. hate the fucking show, not knowing how great it was, man. Oh, it was Alan it Alda, was incredible. I mean, it's the fucking- wordplay, uh the, the 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 interplay. I mean, and this was in the the seventies. So I mean you know, the idea that you would, uh, you know, back then you'd had Hogan's Heroes that right. was sort of set in uh, World War II, uh, you know, prison camp. And you had MASH, which was a very poignant comedy right. uh, about the perils of of war and what it was like to, you know, witness that as a supposed healer and, and all the bureaucratic shenanigans. And, you know, it was coming off the heels of Catch-22 which was Joseph Heller's great uh, novel. And and this was a time of, you know, you couldn't call bullshit explicitly back in the day. You know, it's interesting you talked about consequences, like the Smothers Brothers, right? Right. They had a comedy hour, and this is around the same time, it was a little earlier, probably in the late 60s. And they called bullshit on the Vietnam War. Mm. And two weeks later, they were gone. Really? They were off the air, absolutely. And the consequences of speech and calling bullshit have, have always existed. But 
part of it is because none of us really has, there is no right to the airwaves. Do you know what I mean? There's right. a, there's a free speech right in that the government can't uh, infringe upon your speech, but there's nobody that says CBS can't fucking infringe on it. Private companies, Viacom. private people, they can absolutely hey man, come for you. The deal has always been, you let me do my thing and hopefully I'll sell enough beer for you that it makes this whole venture worthwhile for both of us. Mm -hmm. You know, we all work at the uh, discretion of the powers that be. And if you can make what you do valuable enough to them, and that's really what it is. It's about, they make a cost benefit analysis mm. for the people and the things on their network. And at a certain point, in the cost benefit analysis, either somehow you're not making them enough money or you're too much fucking trouble. That's right. And that's always been the deal. I just think we live now in an environment where Twitter and social media has made it that no matter what you do or no matter what you say, somebody's coming for you, mm -hmm. wherever it may be, whether it's a comment you made about trans people or Jewish people or white people or Harry Styles, somebody's Somebody. coming for you. Well, it's, so it's, the, the, the interesting piece, and I talk yep. about this a lot on, uh, I do a morning show also in New York City on Hot 97. And uh, it's myself and uh, my brother Rosenberg and a young lady named uh, Laura Stiles. Mm -hmm. And we talk about a lot of things, but often, you know, we're dealing with uh, the hip hop R&B space mostly, but parents are listening with kids in the car. It's commuter time, drive time, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we talk about social media and this idea that people think they own their profile on social media. They literally think they have a right to their handle, what they post, they could say what they want. This freedom of speech, how come I can't just say, mm -hmm. like they really are lost. They really don't understand how corporations work, social media works, how when you sign up for something, you don't own that platform. You're giving them rights to basically your face and any information you share across that. That is, people have lost it. They are complete. And no matter how many times you tell them Mm -hmm. You don't own your profile. That is another company's business that you have opted into. Mm -hmm. They don't get it. And I don't know if you, I mean, I'm sure you've watched this over time where people really don't understand the way companies work, free speech works, or mm -hmm. the repercussions of shit you have to say. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I'm the last person in the world who's going to say people aren't entitled to whatever they want to say. I talk shit for a living. Right. I've talked shit for a living for almost 40 years. And so when people talk shit back, that's their, you know, have at it. I wish they were maybe a little better in their construction of it, a little less, you know, maybe a little more clever and a little less just vengeful. But that's fine with me. That's, you, you pays your money, it takes your chances. Mm -hmm. you, I say my shit, you say your shit. And, and, and we go at it. The difference is, I think, the intensity of it and the reach of it it's a meat grinder mm -hmm. and it's exhausting. But if that's what those spaces exist for, you know, you're, you're managing margins, you know, and, and different spaces exist for different things. Look, Twitter is always going to be different than 4chan, which is always going to be different than Reddit, which is always going to be different from 8chan, which is always going to be different from Discord, where somebody sneaks off into a private room where they can really get their shit. Look, this has been a technological revolution in communication, 
it's like, do you remember those movies? Fucking, what, what's the movie where the guy uh, gets ESP and now he can hear what all women think? Oh, uh, wasn't that with, uh, what's his name? Uh, was Richard that Mel Gibson? Gibson? No, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. You're right, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, so that's Twitter. You now know what everybody in the fucking world thinks at every moment all the time. I, I tried to liken this to, because comedians talk about this a lot. When you're doing a set, right? Let's say I'm down in the cellar and I'm doing a set and it's going well. Even if it's going well, I'm going to notice there's a table right there. They're not, they're not with me. They're not <laughs> loving it. They're fucking talking or they're disapproving or they're clucking or they're, you know, that was racist. That was, the, okay, they're going to give me all that, right? Mm. But Twitter is now I got to ride home with them and hear them talk <laughs> about it while I'm still fucking sitting there. Right. And that's the difference. Right. And the adjustment, I don't think, is in people not realizing they don't own it. I think the adjustment is for people who are used mm -hmm. to having the mic. Mm. I'm used to owning the mic, right? I've honed that. I've earned that. I own the mic. And now everybody's, everybody else is like, you know, I've got a mic too. Right. And I'd like you to hear what I think about it. And they can get to you. But it's just a balancing act that I think we're going to have to, our brains have to adjust to it to a certain extent. That whole idea of cancel culture to me is just, you know, villagers with pitchforks. It reminds me of the movie Warriors, where that one gang had to get home from Coney Island right. and you just, you just had to go through every neighborhood and for some reason, guys in baseball outfits with a baseball bat was and, one and gang. Clown and paint. Clown paint <laughs> and all that other shit. But that's Twitter. Yeah. Twitter is you trying to get from Coney Island back to where you live through all these very dedicated and and like-minded vengeful motherfuckers. Right. But that's that's how we live and that's and for me to earn my place, I got to I got to navigate. Do you tweet? Not well and not often. As a comedian, I don't like the feeling that there is an audience out there waiting for me to say something clever. I like my shows timed. I like my, <laughs> I like to know I'm going on at 8. I like to know I'm going on at 9. I don't like to wake up and think there's a bunch of people out there just like, what do, what do you got to say about Musk? So I don't I don't do it very often. I don't care for it. Um I think it's really redundant for mm. the most part. You know, it was funny I was saying about Elon Musk. People were so mad that he was going to ruin it. And I was like, yeah, how dare he turn this shithole into a cesspool? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's a shithole. Yeah. And that's facts. It is. Well, and he, he's only buying it because he likes power and he wants, he wants praise and he's a narcissist and, you know, and, then if, you and if he can, and, and I think on a, on his, his business ego, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this. I don't think Twitter has ever turned a profit. Right. Like there's a lot of these companies that have I think last quarter they lost, I think, two hundred and seventy million dollars. Yeah. So I think his business ego goes, hey, if I can. Yes, I can have people praise me. Yes, I can, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, improve my reach and my profile if he has mm -hmm. political aspirations or whatever his aspirations are beyond just being 
a billionaire and the richest man on planet. But I also think there's a piece of him that gets to say, no, I was able to turn this company and make a profit, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. SpaceX, Can I monetize yeah, yep. SpaceX, Tesla. I mean, the guy, you know, he's, he's an idiot. He's an asshole, but he's not stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'd all like to be uh, that big an idiot. That's you know for what I sure. mean? Um, let's get back into the playlist. Um, all right, let's do it. Where you want to go. Um, what are you feeling right now? What's your vibe? Uh, give me, give me an era. Give me an era, and I'll tell you uh, what was. So I, I basically did the list: seventies, eighties, nineties, and and on. Uh, my nineties era was I was working at MTV. So that's all the that's Nirvana, that's Ooh. Pearl Jam. Yeah, I yeah, was yeah. working at MTV when when Nirvana uh, appeared, and I was just having come out of the punk scene mm. to hear somebody that had that punk sensibility, that pain, was, that anger pain, anger, but also courage. Mm. It just felt courageous. And then to be able to give it such hooks Mm -hmm. and such melody, it was the growl with harmony. And it, I I was so taken, uh, by Nirvana and, and a lot of the bands of that era. I mean, you know, Pearl Jam was one of those bands, you know, the, the different ones that that came out of there, Jane's addiction. And, uh, I mean, Incredible. You're listening to The Message, brought to you by Apple Music. Don't forget to subscribe to your favorite podcast app so you can get notified as soon as the conversations drop. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Music to stream Jon Stewart's Message playlist, packed with punk classics from Bad Brains, Black Flag, The Butthole Surfers, and more. Now let's get back to the convo. Uh, John, I, I don't have all day to sit with you, and I, I hope that um, you know you're a busy man, Ebro, and I, I respect it's that. Definitely and I understand not that. my schedule. It's yours, sir. I know. You know what's <laughs> crazy though? I have to pick up my daughter. It's not. I wish I could tell you, like, I have an important meeting, yeah, but it's it. more like, oh shit. Listen, the fact that um, yourself and myself have worked long enough in this game to be able to carve out our schedule and say, I am going uh, to pick up my kids. I don't give a fuck what y'all got on my schedule today. Yes. I'm picking up my fucking kids is... Yes. That's what you, you work for. Leaving, and, and I know this sounds crazy, but leaving The Daily Show was the smart... Taking The Daily Show was the smartest thing I ever did. Leaving The Daily Show was the second smartest <laughs> thing I ever did. And, and never is that more evident than when I'm driving one of the kids home from school or take, now they're getting older, they're getting their licenses and all that. But boy, those years are irreplaceable. Are you still living in New York state? No, no, no. We, we moved out to Jersey. The last year I was doing the show, I commuted. Got it. And then, uh, and then we just were out here full time. Love it. Got the animals, got the kids, man. It's, Love it. it's life as it should be. We're living in this time now. You know, my mother's Jewish. My father's black. I grew up in Northern California. So I was Mm -hmm. raised in an environment where I had a a Hebrew Israelite uncle. My father's a Black Panther. My mother is a, you know, Jewish redhead feminist. You know, I was born in 1975. (laughs) I have another cousin who's a a deacon at a Church of God in Christ Pentecostal church. I have another cousin who is Nation of Islam. Like, this was my world. Your Thanksgiving must have been. Um, Oh man, it was great. A truly interesting. It was a good time. It was a good time. Yeah. But yeah. but I've gotten to be a part of these conversations about black power, black empowerment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and even feminism and even anti-Semitism. And mm-hmm. right now we're sitting at a time where you have Kanye West and Kyrie Irving clearly not either 
purposefully not understanding what anti-Semitism is and just kicking the hornet's nest for some sort of, I don't even understand, maybe Kanye West or some sort of grift as he transitions to monetize and sell clothes to his rabid anti-Semitic audience that, you know what I mean? He, you know, I, the I, MAGA I crowd, you, I don't know, but. They could, but they could use him because the last time we saw that, you know, anti-Semitic crowd, it was in Charlottesville marching. And it was khaki pants and tiki torches. That's right. <laughs> if Con if Kanye can take that up a notch, if he can bring a little, you know, Balenciaga to that, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of flair you know I mean? to the Charlotte to the, the Charlottesville easy, bring boys. Bring the easy brand to that. L listen, marching and shouting Jews will not replace us. Very hard on the feet. And if you can bring uh, the Yeezy comfort and style to that, it's a it's a real win. But does John Stewart? Do you get an opportunity to? talk about um there was a book that my mom gave me when i was 14 or 15 years old it's called mm -hmm. black it's called blacks and jews it was cornell west michael lerner talking about the issues between the black community and the jewish community obviously mm -hmm. both communities came up together in the united states dealing with racism and white supremacy and you know things splintered things changed there's nuances the jewish community is not a monolith the black community is not a monolith and these things evolve and change mm -hmm. I don't know your heritage or your background, but do you, with your knowledge and do you get to delve into these, these topics and do you plan to? I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been delving. I, I was, I'm Jewish. I was raised Jewish. My parents are from the Bronx and Brooklyn, which were large Jewish communities. They were yep. first and second generation immigrants from Russia and Lithuania and Estonia and, uh, those areas. Uh, there's a long history of fleeing. You know, uh, there's there's yeah. a long history of of keeping a go bag packed because you never know when the shit's yeah. going to turn. Uh, so I've dealt with that my whole life. And I went to I went to college down south and got in my share of altercations based on misinformation and and prejudice. Stereotypes and tropes. Sure. And, all and I always hesitate to label, you know, that's racist. That's anti-Semitic. You know, I, I don't want those words to lose meaning. I want people to understand the existential components of that kind of misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. It's not labeling someone as anti-Semitic or labeling someone as racist doesn't really do anything to clarify the issues at hand. And I think mm -hmm. if anything, it's throwing in a conversation killer as opposed to something that can help the parties. Now, I don't, you know, I, I've met those guys. Uh, I don't know them at all, uh, Kyrie and Kanye, but I know enough black Israelites to know where they're coming from. And I know mm -hmm. what their what their message is. You know, when when Kanye says something like, I can't be anti-Semitic because I'm a Jew, what he's saying is, and I think it's important for people to know this, what he's saying is he's the real Jew. That mm -hmm. the descendant of Shem correct. And, the, the, and the word Shem and Semitic. That's and right. And blah, and blah, blah. and this has been what has, and pardon the pun, bedeviled the Jewish community for millennia is this idea that they are imposters and imposters with an agenda. Mm -hmm. They are the Chazarai, as they say. They are the, they're not descended from the, the 12 tribes. They're descended from the Turks. Uh, they're mm -hmm. called the, the Khazar tribe and that they were, or in another interpretation, and, and I think this may be the one that, that Kanye and, and, and Kyrie are working off of, literally the spawn of Satan. Well, yeah, that's that. And then the the whole I converted to Judaism versus from the bloodline that, that, of that, Judaism. That's right. 
And I think ultimately, if that's where you're coming from, I think you can see how that ideology would be somewhat dangerous and, right. and would lead to all measure of dehumanization. And obviously, we've, we've seen it happen. The question is, in that, in that line of thinking, I think what they imagine is there is a lot more localized control over whether you believe that they're from this tribe or that tribe or not that tribe or another tribe. The idea that there is some kind of locus of control is the part that is most pernicious. And by pernicious, you mean offensive and, and corrosive and, and dangerous. dangerous. And I think that, yep. but, and, and I want to stop yeah, you right there because a lot of people don't understand that right there about anti-Semitism. That where you're about to go into about the control piece is what Hitler well, and yeah. the Third Reich began their movement on to, to justify, right? But by the way, uh, it's murdering. Not, this isn't just Hitler. This is was everywhere. It's it's why the right. diaspora, as they say, was so pronounced. You know, my family was chased out of Russia. You know, I had a right. grandfather chased out of China. I had, you know, and it's always this idea that it, it, it's sort of like when they say, oh, the Jews control uh, the media. Because everybody now is, here's what they say, Kanye and Kyrie, that's, that's fucked up what they said. But they, you know, there are a lot of Jews in Hollywood. Right. Because they were kept out of everywhere else. And so they started, started their own vaudeville. thing. And, started and but it's it's like saying, you know, the Irish control law and order. You know, there's a lot. Well, if you, well I'm not saying they're. Oh, listen, I don't want to say anything, but like all the cops. And if you think about it, and they're all controlling it. You're confusing businesses that have connections through similar interests and similar oppression with devious control and subversion. Mm -hmm. And I guess. You know, maybe I'll announce here, the Jews have decided we're renouncing our control of media and banks and we're going into men's support hosiery. We're going to dominate it, <laughs> but no one's going to be sad about it because it's just fucking hosiery. But that, the, 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 the point being, what's so pernicious about it as well is they confuse the anger at it with evidence of their correctness. So it's kind of, it, it gives them a double immunity. I can say whatever the fuck I want. And if you say something back at them, they can say, see, they, they see how they control everything. I don't even get to say I can't, anything. I can't even say anything. That's right. Perfect victimhood on their part. Well, and part of my issue with it is the fact that if your issue is about black people and indigenous Africans, if you will, North Africans, Sephardic mm -hmm. people, uh, being represented in the identity of Judaism, mm -hmm. and you feel like that hasn't been done, right? Where there is, yeah. then speak specifically right. to And that. by the way, welcome to the fucking team. Happy to have you. Like, I don't know if you know anything, but like Jews are the worst at, at evangelizing. Like we don't even do it. If there's any religion that could use a little support here, I mean, for God's sakes, <laughs> Kyrie and Kanye, you want to be on the team? <laughs> fucking A. With, with, right? with Kyrie's handles? We're happy to have you. Listen, I know he says a lot of fucked up things, but if he did go to the Knicks, I, you know, I'd be okay. What he brings in terms of court vision, I'm just saying. But do you, Listen, do you but understand my however, point? However, however, he hasn't been a winner on no, his own. No, that's probably true. But, uh, but, but you're, you're absolutely right in that what it does is it creates this idea of you have secret knowledge of forces that are unseen 
that have made, look, there are people in this world who suffer dearly and there are peoples who are oppressed. And rather than understand that the dynamics of capitalism and the dynamics of economics and colonialism and all those things and, and systems that have winners and losers and communities that are left behind, if you need to have a unifying theory about that, that lay underneath what is known in a secret world that is really pulling all the strings, that's what's so dangerous about it. Because it insinuates mm -hmm. this has all been done to you on purpose by them. And that's the basis of the conflict. And if we're and and John Stewart on the close, if we're being honest, the real pervasive it's not Judaism, it's not Catholicism, it's not Christianity, it's not Buddhism, it's not Islam. Mm. It's people using those belief systems yeah, brother. As, as, as a guise, yes. as a guise for them doing bad Exploitative shit. And that's across shit. the fucking the board. Brother, that is dead on right. And that was, can I tell you something? You have the message. Today was you having the message. And if I may also add, a much more lush beard than I have. And I'm, I've got, I've got mean, some work to do. Step your game up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Step your game up. Make sure you check out Jon Stewart. You know, the problem with Jon Stewart on Apple TV Plus, Thank also you, on Apple Podcasts. He's got a playlist of message. Thank you for giving us uh, the time today. It was my pleasure to talk to you. And I'll come back again when I've got a little bit more, uh, less errands to run. Listen, uh, whenever it makes sense, but I appreciate you on all of these topics. Well, thank, you, sir. thank you, man. The message. Don't push me. Call up close to the edge. An open dialogue about the voices of today and their experiences through music that inspires them.